So, um, today we are going to be talking about a book that I bought and then gave to you called uh, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, which is not your, usually the sort of gift that you give to your, <laughs> give to your mother. Here, yeah, enjoy this. <laughs> it's about you, death. Are you suggesting that I'm getting old? No, like not, at all. not at all. I would never. It would be completely... <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but I did... I was interested in what you thought about this book. Partly because you used to be a nurse, but partly because you and Dad have been talking quite a bit about <laughs> wills and legacies and care homes and all. <laughs> it's like it's on your mind somehow or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it comes with the territory. You get to a certain age and start thinking about it but it's a it's an interesting book to read it was really useful in that it um, articulates things that you're probably aware of but you haven't actually mm. been able to put into words yourself yeah um and it flags up things that you might not even think about or um it's hard to describe really but there's so many issues that come up out of that book. Mm. Well, I mean, the, the subtitles, Illness, Medicines and What Matters in the End. I mean, it's quite a big scope <laughs> to cover, scope. isn't it? And it's written by... So the, the <coughs> author is um, a surgeon, isn't he? Is that right? Let's He's check a physician. I can't remember if physician. I can't remember which. Um... I'm sure he's a surgeon. Anyway, he's he's a doctor. Yeah. He's one of those doctor people who know about the things. <laughs> and has chosen to write a series of books about... I think his concerns about medicine and how it's becoming a bit too much about what we... Whether, whether we can do things and, and trying to do things instead of what's actually best for the people who are... The results of various different experiments. Yeah, I, th I think he describes well why doctors in general tend to take the approach they do. Is and it's the way the trend. Mm. And the problem is that they, as young doctors or new doctors, approach in a way that they are meant to be. Uh, I don't know, pushing boundaries and mm. preserving life at all costs and always developing the next high-profile treatment for some condition or other. Um, and they don't seem to know when to stop. Yeah. And they don't have conversations, even within themselves a lot of the time, let mm. alone with the people that they're treating about when it's appropriate to treat, when it's appropriate to stop. Yeah, it's like there's something... Because I, I did read the introduction, but not all of <clears> it, but there was something about him saying that looking after people who are dying seems to really shake doctors' sort of identity and idea of, of themselves and what they do and their... Almost their self-worth, actually, in that if they haven't save somebody's life in their mind then they failed instead of accepting that death is just yeah a, a normal part of life unfortunately mm. <laughs> um that 
that instead their their worth as a doctor and as a person is how many people they keep alive come what may instead of the quality of life that people well have. That's a good quote here <clears throat> it says um, modern scientific capabilities profoundly altered the course of human life um, people live longer and better than at any other time in history but scientific advances have turned the process of aging and dying into medical experiences Mm. And we in the medical world have proved alarmingly unprepared for it. And that sort of sums it up. Mm. Um, It's not that long since most people died at home and tended to die more suddenly. Yeah. So 1945 is quoted. That was most deaths were in the home. Um, But once... Once it became more medicalised, it's that it's like people can't admit what admit to what's happening, let alone allow the process to happen mm. as it should. Um, but the book goes on to bring up all sorts of um, areas of all. Don't know how to put this. <laughs> all sorts, all sorts of um, issues up that are really tricky most people never discuss mm. it's think... not something it's not exactly a light-hearted conversation to just <laughs> pop you know you're out shopping with grandma oh grandma when do you want to die at what point do you want us to turn off the machine although actually older people are a lot more comfortable talking <clears throat> about death than often middle-aged or younger people are oh, well, you're still in the situation where older people um, were young and will remember being young before antibiotics were in oh, yeah, frequent use. Then it came in the, sort of the 30s, mm. 40s. Um, so they will remember a time when you didn't call the doctor unless it was a last resort because you had to pay. Yeah. You know, so they remember pre-NHS. Mm. And they'll have all remembered people dying and it was a part of life. Mm. Where it's... So the very, very old, elder, the most elderly part of the population will still have that attitude. It's as you get to younger people Mm. um, that the expectations just become totally unrealistic. Mm. And people don't want to go there. Well, yeah, and that's that to some extent is understandable, but it's also just denial, isn't it? It doesn't actually Mm. prevent it from happening because you can't. That's kind of the point. And it's, it's, once you've sort of accepted that, I think that it does make things a bit easier for you to sort of think about realistically what you actually want um, your sort of end of life care to be like and what's important to you and mm. what you definitely don't want. Um, but it's, I think it's, what what this book is talking about is very different to a lot of the st- the kind of news stories about death that we hear because it's main, mainly concentrating on the elderly. It's people who who die of living too long, <laughs> effectively, you know. Like, um, you know, they're just... Yeah, yeah, mostly. You know, like, the reason that people are dying these days older, they're literally, you know, their bodies have just stopped working. You know, it's 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 not kind of a... A traumatic event necessarily in terms of how it might be 
if there was a, a you know sort of a, a huge accident and people died completely yeah. out of the blue problem with that is not allowed to put old age on a death certificate yeah exactly yeah you can't just put that is they were really old <laughs> Everything stopped working. Yeah. Basically. She was 102. Why do you think she, she died? died? It was exactly. time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's not, um, and that's not to say that, that the death of the elderly is, is pleasant or not really emotional and sometimes traumatic. It's just to say that we can prepare for it in a way that makes it less dramatic and more comfortable for everybody and more kind of about the, the caring about the person. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it quotes this ototypical response to the area of um, care of old people, which must be called geriatrics, is what they call it now. Um, and they did a some sort of study where they had uh, a number of elderly people and they split them into two groups. So mm. one group, this is in the States, one group was cared for by um, <clears throat> specialists for elder care mm. and these were cared for just by the physicians. Mm. And the, the ones that cared for the elderly took a completely different approach mm. in that they looked at the very basics like are they getting enough to eat are they being able to take physical care of themselves are their teeth okay their eyes their feet can they use their hands well mm. um, which is more to do with quality them. of life than it is to do with what is it? looking it's, for illnesses and cures isn't it it's to do yeah it's to do with the activities of daily living which is what you need to be able to to you know carry out and they what they worked on was trying to improve any issues they had like they had to tweak their drugs because they perhaps were getting dizzy and starting to fall mm. and that that sort of thing apparently is a big red flag people yeah. start to fall because it indicates all sorts of um issues yeah here it is actually so it says that um, 568 men and women over the age of 70 who were living independently but high, were at high risk of becoming disabled for various reasons. Mm. Um, within 18 months, 10% of the patients in both groups had died, which is what they expected, but the patients who had seen the geriatrics team were a quarter less likely to become disabled and half as likely to develop depression. Mm and 40% less likely to require home health services. So, really good results. You know, so, you know what they did? They closed the division of geriatrics. Yeah, yeah. So which sums it up. It's because it costs more than the savings they provided to provide that care, you know, for the, um, hmm. the insurer. But so, I think it, it's... In, like this isn't a this is a, this is an American. This is American. About the American yeah. system, um, but they didn't expect say expensive medical equipment to do the same thing. They still cover up for it. 
Indeed, yeah, because it talks about insurance companies or hospitals being willing to invest in really, really expensive, high-tech medical equipment. Yeah. And that's just not something that is necessary. It's not, it's, it's not the most important thing when it comes to geriatric care. Mm. It's the care part of it, which is mm. the most important thing. And it's that... I think it's, it's also any situation where you're... It's where services are supposed to meet. You've got lots of different um, needs from somebody. So you're looking at somebody who's going to need nursing care and care from doctors with medical care, but also social care mm. and psychological care. And it's it's where you get com- more complex kind of... Um, mm. I mean, I think the thing that annoys me about that, though, is that everyone is complex. Like, everyone, every human being is a complex person. <laughs> like, nobody is... People are more or less simple, usually, yeah. but people <clears throat> are complicated. So that kind of whole person approach is what you would prefer all medical professionals to be using all the time. But they can't because mm. they're not, they don't have the right, they haven't got enough resources to do it. That's right, yeah. yeah some, there's some wonderful descriptions of <laughs> how people approach the care that the, that is provided for the elderly um, it's there's so many different elements of it but it's how do I put it I mean for a start you start with the as people get older and frailer who cares for them and where or what care do they need and mm. how is it arranged and who decides and, um, but what the elderly that were interviewed in it mm. or described in it they um, they really struggled with what appeared to be superficially really living in really nice places where they were supported to some degree or other Oh, yes, I remember that bit. It was about some woman who would... Ha- well, her family had convinced her to move into one of those really expensive, like, old people residential centres in America, like a gated community, where she had all of her stuff in a new flat, but she, they uh, they said that, he, that she um, deteriorated much more rapidly mm. once she'd moved out of her own house into this place even though she had technically more support because she wasn't in her own home she got worse didn't she that's right she it's it's the approaches to people it said it says um it's like providing care for preschoolers that it's all controlled and you tell when to have your meals on even when you go to the toilet and things like that. Oh, it's God, really yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> that's more in the nursing homes, you know. They, yeah. they do it as a, as a routine thing. Yeah. Um, but they're focusing on keeping them existing safely and not living. They don't see mm. people as individuals and don't, they don't um, find out about the individuals. They yeah. don't know what is important to them. Mm. And they don't allow... You know, somebody who has lived a long 
quite a long life usually by this stage adult choices they do not allow them to make an unwise choice so if they decide they're diabetic and they want they're not not allowed to mess around with a diet like somebody younger would have that choice into living independently yeah which is wise which is weird because in a way even though you can understand that we see the elderly as vulnerable because small changes might make a bigger impact on them but Mm. as we've said if you're elderly then you've already lived for a long time basically you're kind of on your way out anyway, so That's what you might as well do what you like. Because mm. nothing's that really going to change it. The end, you know, is still going to be the end. That's and if right. you want to have, you know, um, all the cake you could, you can get down here before happens, <laughs> then to some extent. Then, but yeah, as you said, people should be allowed to make those choices themselves because they are adults. And we infantilise el- the elderly, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but the thing you know the thing about these places, you know whether they're nursing homes or um, every places that support the elderly mm. in less. Um, what did they? How did they describe it? See if I can find it. It's something like um, the dis designed to um, please the children or the relative that is worried about them yeah yeah um but they don't actually meet the needs of the person who's going in yeah and they, they sort of focus on things that will attract the family mm. so this you know the safety thing and the provision of activities mm. which may bore that particular elderly person out of the brain <laughs> yeah bore them to death you no know, not everyone wants to um arrange flowers or whatever it is no organized fun is definitely not my kind of thing yeah (laughs) doesn't sound very good no and they're decorated to like i say appeal to the family Mm. so it's actually about making sure that the family who if you're thinking about it in terms of who has power and who doesn't have power, mm. it's the family who are usually the ones who have power. That's right. Yeah. Um, so they're the ones whose needs are met, and it's not the elderly people who are the ones that it's supposed to be there for because they don't have yeah. as much power. Well, it says they're designed to be safe, but devoid of anything the elderly care about. Yes, exactly. You know, it's just like an existence. Like <laughs> so that kind of... Um, Thinking about that brings me on to that programme we watched, that um, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, mm. which was so like wholesome and lovely and adorable. And the effect that just having young children around and playing with them and, and kind of um, having something new and exciting to do, but at a level that was... Uh, it's not a level, at a speed that older people are able to go at, I think, is is the key thing. So the four-year-olds are kind of, you know, in terms of dexterity and in terms of possibly kind of uh, language and that kind of thing, they are on a par with each other because the elderly has lost some of that ability. That doesn't make them the same, but it means that they get something out of it because they're not feeling like they're being harried and hurried along to everything and not given time to kind of um do things at their own pace whereas with a four-year-old they get the fun of some 
little person being silly and expecting them to be able to come and play with them mm. <laughs> and not being constantly concerned about them and but but it's still sort of at a slower pace that they can actually appreciate and enjoy i think the other, the other thing is that the preschoolers really related well to the elderly and they all they all developed one a favorite friend older friend <laughs> yeah. and i think the thing that also helped was that they were very affectionate towards their elder friend yeah. and would give i mean that's what a lot of the elderly miss out on is um physical affection mm. so they go they'd run up and hug them and sit on the knee and if they were up to it and whatever yeah but that then was they so all, cute but they also yeah they also, the four-year-olds were capable of showing um an, an ability to care and yeah go and look after their elderly when they were going out for a walk and they were encouraged to take a few risks rather than just do things that limited their daily life mm. so they they were they'd go i mean clearly with some support because obviously the four-year-olds needed supervision yeah but they'd take them go shopping and then they'd create some food make some food together mm. and they ate together so the elderly ate better because they they were sitting with the children mm. Which and they also moved a lot more because the children encouraged it. Mm. I don't think you can also um, like undervalue the impact of just like joy and hope and something new and interesting and the kind of psychological benefits that that brings that then have a knock-on effect to improving the physical benefits from somebody. So if you're motivated to as you say move more because you want to because a little kid is asking you to go and play with them you might know that you should have a wander outside but if if the only motivation is oh i probably should do this because my doctor said so that's definitely not going to do it as much as a little one going come and play come and play mm. <laughs> and who needs you and wants to spend time with you yeah. and it's it's fulfilling a lot of different needs at the same time and it's, it's adorable. It's, it's for the, but it did for the four-year-olds too, which yeah. is really nice. So, and I, I think what they arranged, it's, it was meant to be like a short-term pro, sort of mm. programme just to see what happened. But they ended up extending it. Mm. And most of the families appeared to be keeping in touch with their new elder friend. Aww. Really so nice. sweet. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to be that I think we we don't um, value enough <laughs> about intergenerational relationships, which are really useful and good for everybody. Um, that I think it's just to do with you know how the world has changed and our lifestyles and our living arrangements have changed, so that people don't see people who are of a different generation as, as much. They don't, so you just don't spend time with people who are of a different generation as much as we used to. No families move away from each other. Parents go out to work a lot more. Yeah. And they have trouble keeping in touch with their own families, let alone thinking about anybody else. Exactly, yeah. And, and everybody, this is something that comes up again and again whenever I talk about anything <laughs> mental health related, mm. but it's um, everybody is just too too busy too stressed has too much to do trying to do too many things um and and so it's kind of like they're just bouncing from one thing to the next without necessarily being able to actually think about what it what well what it says what is actually really important to them 
um, people have, be- have got more and more into this sort of more like sort of survival mode of just trying to get stuff done. Even though we have relatively got enough, people don't feel like they do, so they're just constantly trying to to keep up. I think instead of slowing down and trying to think about yeah, what they actually and because, want. Because they're spread so thin, they've got kids, <clears throat> they've got probably either a full-time stressful job or maybe two or three jobs mm. which are stressful because they've got to try and fit them all together. And then they try to work out how to get the kids looked after as well as elderly relatives. Mm. And they seem to go for the same solution for each yeah. group, actually. It's group care. Mm. Pop them in with... Somewhere they're safe with yeah. a professional, um, and but I mean, people who try the alternative where they have the elderly person to live with them mm. end up with even more stress because they discover that everyone's got a different attitude to life and different yep. needs. <laughs> yeah. And, yep. Yeah, you might find it's bone up with our age <laughs> difference and our our <coughs> particular stages of life, but. Um, Yes, I can imagine. And as you said, it's about that or that independence and the autonomy that somebody... If you have been independent for for literally about 60 years, you're mm. not going to want to give that up. No. Like, that doesn't make... That absolutely makes sense. Mm. And um, I think also there's a lot of concentration on the individual or individual family's responsibilities and not enough on state responsibility, um, especially given... The majority of people who who have worked their entire lives and then get a pension and then to some extent it's this social contract whereby mm. people work for their whole, whole lives and they expect to be looked after when they are old uh, in return and that's not an unreasonable expectation but um services are not are not kind of keeping up their end of the bargain and the government isn't keeping up its end of the bargain it's so not that, funded so they can no, provide exactly. good care yeah. And the, there are, because of the change in the population mm. structure, gone from like a triangle, which was heavy at the bottom and very narrow at the top, with so relatively few elderly and mm. a lot of working people. Mm. Now it's more sort of rectangular. Yeah. There are fewer working people to earn the money to pay the taxes to pay for everything, which doesn't help. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but no. it doesn't help. No, it means that there's there's a strain on the resources, and we haven't moved. The thing the thing that's frustrating about that is, it's not like you can't see that coming. You will, I mean, you know, know people are being yeah, born. people are being born. You know that eventually, most of them are going to get to a point where they need state care, but um, nothing was done to prepare for that. Absolutely not, and they're not doing it even for the other end. Indeed, yeah, exactly. Babies are being born four or five years later. That's a surprise. They've got a load more kids that need schools. Yeah. How weird. Yeah. You saw that coming. (laughs) You sure you counted, right? (laughs) No, it's all all wrong and annoying and dicky. Um, But what I was also particularly interested in, because I know that you didn't, obviously, so you didn't work with, in geriatrics you worked in paediatrics so you were on the other end but the change is in um hospitals and the medical community and the roles of nurses and what how care is is given 
sound like it's been drastic from when you were practicing to what to now absolutely so it seems like now the qualified nurses do all the high-tech stuff and what's considered the basic stuff is given to um, healthcare assistants mm. which I'm sure many individuals are very good at the job but the fact is they're undervalued they're grossly underpaid mm -hmm. and no doubt understaffed yeah absolutely um, and it means like cutting up chopping up the care of that person into bits and allocating it to different people mm. which doesn't help so when you were because you were a nurse and then a sister mm. you were sister McGough back in the day um, so what what was your role usually what were you expected to do as as the nurse the difference in paediatrics compared with general care is that where I worked and when I worked, you were allocated a patient to take care of. Mm. So you gave the patient all that care. So, you know, you would wash them, dress them, make sure they got something to do that was appropriate to them, um, feed them. And depending on how the ward worked, you might be the one that helped, say, give the medicines or other treatments. Mm. So you actually got to know the individual patients that oh, you Oh, absolutely, yeah. With. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the other issue was that the bar to be admitted into hospital now is set much higher. Mm. And we know that from other people, you know, other friends and acquaintances' experiences. So you get much sicker people in and they're kept in for much less time and they may be kept just on a super, you know, sort of um, an assessment ward. Mm. Um, and also there's always... It, how can I put it? I think that I got the impression when I, had, I recently visited a, a baby in hospital that... The nurses certainly would have made sure that the sort of complex care for the condition was given. But otherwise, it seemed like if there was a visiting parent there, they weren't given a lot of guidance. They were pretty much expected to know what to mm. just left to get on with anything else. So what was the difference when you were looking after children in paediatrics? How, how were family kind of... Oh, that, yeah, that was the other thing, included. that children under five weren't expected to visit, whereas we used to have kids of all ages. You quite Running around. Visitors <laughs> than kids, patients, yeah, which could get a bit out of hand. Um, <laughs> Toys for everyone. Occasionally you had to um, just have a word with them and ask them, to just remind them that they were with sick people and then we did need it quiet sometimes yeah <laughs> but in a way that's that's kind of similar actually to what we were talking about with um the old people's home for four-year-olds is mm -hmm. that sometimes sick people very 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 sick people need to be given time to rest but mm -hmm. also um sick children need to play they need to have the Absolutely opportunity to do. play yeah. and socialize and like that's just as important as everything else so actually having 
having a, a gang of children in has has benefits as well as, as mm. kind of slight inconveniences for staff. That's the difference. I think it's coming in now mm. with the more forward-thinking people who care for the elderly that they get try and keep the hospital visit to absolute minimum and try and make sure the elderly are dressed and mobilised mm. if they've been if they're so sick that they've lost their ability to move it's just when you said mobilised like that's a term that I associate with like the army yeah. <laughs> it's just like, the elderly are mobilised well, you get a lot of staff mobilised to mobilise so you'd have the physiotherapists and OTs in mm. to make sure that as soon as their condition allowed, mm. they were got up, got dressed, sat in a chair, not left in the pyjamas and nighties in bed. Yeah. So they were made to feel like people rather than patients. Yeah. Yeah. And that, But that's, oh, for a long time, from before I started nursing, children, unless they'd be really sick or going for, going for surgery, mm. and sometimes, not even then, they would be dressed in clothes. Mm. And if the parents requested it, they'd be dressed in their own clothes. Mm. But we did keep clothes for those who couldn't keep up with the amount of clothes that were needed. Yeah. Um, so the kids always looked like, you know, we tried to keep them in some sort of reasonable routine that was appropriate to them. Mm. Um, Aww. You know, so I think so we didn't wake them all up at six in the morning to have the breakfast or oh, cup of God. tea or whatever they do. <laughs> Which I, th- I think is, it standard used to happen, practice. it used to be standard practice mm. in general hospitals of six o'clock, we woke up with a cup of tea or whatever. Jesus. And, <laughs> um, you know, it, if the, if children were asleep when it was breakfast time, then it was up to the person who would be allocated that child to make sure they got the breakfast when they woke up. Mm. They weren't They weren't woken up to give them the breakfast. And to some extent, that's the sort of thing that sounds really obvious, and yet it's become... Mm normal practice not to do that and 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 the only reason the only reason i could possibly be is resources it's just then going oh god we've got too many people we're gonna have to just do it all at once because Mm. we haven't got enough people to keep track of everybody Mm. which is really sad um but like so so yeah you i remember you telling me before about this um but it does also sound like the way that terminally ill patients um i don't know about pediatrics it might be different because um they might put more effort into making sure there was somebody with them but i remember specifically you saying that if there was a child on a ward who was terminal or you just knew that they were dying someone would always sit with them I don't think that's quite what I said. Oh, okay. <laughs> what did you say? What I said was, <laughs> I, I didn't have actually much experience of um, child patients dying at all. Um, but the time I did have, um, there was one that actually died on the night shift I was working on. And I felt that the wrong person had been left to sit with that child. Mm. They're all mem- it was a student nurse and there was a sister who was sitting on the ward with the rest of the patients. Mm. And it was the student was 19. Uh, first lot of nights, so I didn't feel that was appropriate. And I wasn't allowed to stay. I had to go and go for my break. Mm. 
Um, yeah, so we're not trying to make out that like when you were working, everything was perfect. <coughs> oh, absolutely and, you know, not. No, well, no, no. But it's, it's dif- different, different problems. <laughs> There's new and new fun new problems now. No, I mean, I, th- I think in in some ways, nursing care was better before, say, in the fifties or whenever mm. when before antibiotics were really up to the table to the forties or fifties because they couldn't rely on antibiotics. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they had to be scrupulously clean. And yeah, yes, there was this thing about nurses kowtowing to doctors and that sort of thing. Yeah. Having patients regimented in the beds for the doctor's round and stuff mm. like that, which we never did in paediatrics, certainly. I don't know what happened in general wards. I can't remember so much what happened in general wards. But as far as care of the dying was... A nurse was always sitting with the patient who died, from mm. what I can gather. As far as you remember, that was standard a standard thing to do. Just and that's that's such a simple human thing to do is to just make sure that somebody is is has got companionship or there is another person there. Now yeah, the trouble with present day is from the I don't know, sixties onwards. People aren't used to people dying. Mm. They don't know what to do. Mm. And they freak out at the thought of it. Mm. So that it immediately becomes about measuring and trying to resuscitate and mm. and that sort of thing in where it's not appropriate. Mm. Um and and also treating people for things that where it's like this person is dying because they're they're very old or they're very sick or both. And there's at at some point there's no point in treating something relatively minor when you you can see and tell that somebody is dying of as we said just old age of just being old um because that that idea of sort of you've done everything reasonable that you can expect to to do for somebody and you can tell that they are dying because there's a feat that you feel it don't you there is a particular you get i think you get get to in some situations Mm. if you've been around it long enough or even yeah there were times when i was a nurse when i knew somebody was dying Mm. but this yeah this thing about even when i was training this thing about somebody sitting with them wasn't so stressed i don't remember I can remember a few occasions when people were dying. I don't. I mean, I think I don't think I was actually there for any of them. Mm. But I don't know what happened. I yeah, think I was. <clears throat> again, I was sent on my break. Yeah, in a particular so somebody situation. Else was, yeah. Somebody else was there. Not something more appropriate that it happened because it was a qualified nurse and I was a student. But I don't know what happened. I don't know where somebody was sitting with that man. Mm. I recognised he was dying. Yeah. And the qualified nurse was on her break at that time, so I'd contacted the night sister. And when the um, qualified nurse came back, I was on my break. That's when the man died. But mm. I don't, I don't know if someone was specifically asked to sit with him mm. or did sit with him. But you've been in situations where somebody had been asked to sit with somebody who was dying. So, like with the the, the rot in you know with you, a child. With with any any patient, you know you're. No, you I don't. Had, I don't remember that specifically. No, I mean, um, what I mean is the. So the situation you talked about, 
where the student nurse was was asked to sit with the child who mm. was dying. Well, it, it probably wasn't the right person, but somebody was asked to yeah. sit with them. Mm. But it's it's a very different... I think it is different. It is obviously a different situation if you've got a very sick child and an elderly person. Um, even if even if it turns out that there isn't anything you can do about it in either situation, um, I think the death of an elderly person is is less traumatic in the majority of cases because it's... we feel like to like, people say things like oh it it was their time to go sort mm. of thing. Well, you mm. you never really feel like that about a child because yeah. you can see the potential of. Absolutely. So many years no, that haven't been so lived. much harder. Mm. Even if, even if you can think about it in terms of, well, you know, they're very, very sick and their quality of life is mm. is not good. And yeah, I think that was true of that child at that time. Mm. Um, no, it was it was just really difficult. Aww. So were you actually trained for that in any way? No, I don't remember anything. No. Well, it so might have been, but I don't remember anything. It's probably about, must be about an hour in a different yeah. lecture. We'll have done it, we'll have done. Yeah. We'll have talked about care of the dying or whatever, but a bit more on a practical thing. Right, exactly. So it's still a case of of kind of not preparing people emotionally to be able to deal with it. But to some extent, if from when you were working, as you said, when having experienced or knowing that somebody had died or was dying was more common to some extent there's there's less of a obvious need to specifically prepare people for that because i I think i would say up to the about the 40s or 50s that may be true not now isn't it exactly but it was the kind of like remnants of it so the people who would have i, I imagine the the oldest exactly. sisters yeah. and you know, the senior staff mm. would have been trained like that and they would have um the senior so there's like the senior staff presumably would be the one setting setting the training for the younger staff no no oh, no okay. it'll be set by some sort of central council Oh, I suppose it would have been, won't it? Yeah. Hmm. But it was still would have been set by older people. Older, oh, I old, yeah, so. not the younger people coming through. No. So then expectations of what people do and don't know and are and aren't able to cope with are going to be different. If you're different if your experience was, oh well everybody knows how to deal with somebody who is dying or has died because everybody does, that's your the mm. the experience you have for the majority of your life. You may not then think, ah, but actually, because, you know, we're better able to keep people alive, people, people have less experience of it, it and yeah, therefore yeah. need someone to help them figure out how to cope with that. That was a, that was a big issue. There, was, <clears throat> there didn't appear to be any support for staff, mm. any emotional support for staff. You know who had been through that sort of. Nobody had sort of said, "Oh, are you all right?" Mm. You know, this, especially when the boy died, oh. that was awful. Nobody said, "Oh, how are you? Are you yeah. all right?" Or anything like that. That must have been awful. Mm. Nobody said it. 
and yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah, it just wasn't discussed. Hmm. I mean, I think it's fair to say that we, <laughs> as British people, we've always been reasonably crap at emotions, haven't yeah. we? Like yeah. culturally, we're not great. We no, just, <laughs> you know, like so. So for so for example, death probably will have happened more frequently previously that doesn't necessarily mean that people were able to cope with it better or well, the cult given it, support British stiff upper lip approach yeah. I guess so I think to some extent we're, it's a bit better now because we're more aware of the need it's just that people are scared of it I mm. think rather than possibly before people weren't necessarily as it wasn't as much of a shock to people because they experienced it more often but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were able to cope with it better. It's just that it happened. No, I think of deaths in the family. Yeah. Which this sort of book is bound to make you think think about, mm. really. Um, I didn't experience a death in my immediate family. Well, my great-grandma died when I was 11, mm. but I didn't really know. I think I, I remember meeting her once or twice, and she was just a little old lady... <coughs> in grandma's house mm. that's all I remember about her um, but my granddad who was the first close person to die mm. I was 19 yeah so that's actually quite that's really pretty old. old well we think of it as quite old anyway so I wasn't it was we knew he was ill we knew he got terminal condition and but he stayed pretty well almost mm. up to the time he died and then deteriorated fairly rapidly. And I was at college at the time, so I found out by either letter or phone call or something like that. Mm. And I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know how to deal with it mm. and just sort of didn't want to acknowledge it or talk about it. Which is a totally like kind of ordin- mm. ordinary or normal reaction. It's not necessarily a good reaction, but it's, it's as in like a helpful reaction, but it's it's an ordinary one mm. it's a normal one I've, I've i've noticed that actually that people who it's a very weird situation where it's like obviously it's not great to experience the deaths of people you know very very young especially people who are very close to you mm. but it's also not great to experience deaths of people when you're a lot older because as you say you haven't developed those coping mm. skills and you you're not resilient so like obviously my experience is very different because yeah, we had those it was about ten years where someone would go every year. That's right, it yeah. was weird, yeah. wasn't it? It yeah, was very yeah, it odd. Wasn't, it wasn't good. Yeah. So like there was just a <clears throat> lot of an interesting range of funerals, I think it's fair to yeah. say. But so, you know, at the time it was it was, you know it was a it was kind of a, a lot and a weird thing to cope with. But I think that because of that my sort of resilience to death and to to the fact that people do die especially older people because most of them were older people means that i'm less freaked out about it than most people my age who don't know anybody who's died yeah you know it's it's for me it's like well i know that it's something that happens to people and and actually you know that's that's all right and you can you can cope with it i think it would be actually be very difficult to get to late teens or early 20s and then suddenly have that happen and, and not know what to do go home for a holiday and be left with your bereaved recently bereaved grandma oh god yeah you said well that. the rest of the family went on holiday what yeah 
That was left to look after her for that week. Jesus. Why? As it, as it happened, it turned out pretty well. She Aww. just talked about how they met and what she remembered oh, and things nice. like that. So actually, it, was, it wasn't the experience I was expecting. Mm. It was better than I was, was, I was expecting. Oh, bless her. This is the thing though, isn't it? I think people also, they're scared of, being with someone, being with yeah. someone who's yeah. bereaved, yeah, they don't. You don't know how to be exactly. You don't know how to how to react, whether to talk about it, whether to wait till they bring it up, or mm. what happens if they cry or something. What you're gonna do? You know, and it's your grandma. You're not used to seeing your grandma cry. Or... Well, yeah, yeah, especially as you say, like of the of your generation mm. and then the generations previous to that. I think that would have been more of a a proper shock at all. Like oh. God, what you know? How do I deal with this? Yeah, um, yeah I think I think that's a, and and it's it. What's interesting is a lot of the responses that people have to what they actually do want when somebody has died, and how how people to react to them is, you know, they want to talk about the person, they want to talk about yeah, the memories, yeah. and they, you know, because that that means that they certainly don't want somebody to be forgotten or like there's just this gap where they used to be and everybody's walking around it oh, that, yeah it's happened in other situations of, in the family have happened like that yeah where it's just like you just, yeah, you just don't don't mention it don't as, if mention it, as if that's gonna, gonna help, help. <laughs> yeah and it's like turns out that's not gonna do anything at all um but yeah it's it's and also people are individual and if somebody mm. um people cope in different ways and and letting somebody sort of take the lead as to how they are going to cope with that um, is often quite a good strategy. Yeah, I, was, I was sort of pleasantly surprised in a way because I, um, Grandma had always come over as somebody who wasn't very strong emotionally. Hmm. And yet she seemed to really, you know, sort of cope surprisingly well. Um, which is uh, hard to describe what I mean exactly. Yeah, but like she, she sort of didn't. She didn't sort of fall apart in the way it was yeah. expected. Um, mm. That's often the case, though, isn't it? Actually, mm. with people. Yeah, I mean, a more recent experience I had of um, talking about death with uh, somebody who was older, and although I didn't know at the time would die within a few months of this conversation was my auntie and she was um with auntie liz yeah yeah she was living on her well she wasn't living on her own she was living with her son but she might as well have been living on her own in some respects as far as psychological support went mm. and she was really from i think from the point of view of the um people trying to support her which um a few people were you know she was really hard working that she would only accept certain care and mm. she she wouldn't fit into the mold and she wouldn't do anything <laughs> yeah, anybody wanted right. her to do <laughs> and you know she was the most <laughs> obstreperous patient as far as the medical staff went she argued <laughs> with them from dawn till night and because she was also a nurse wasn't she, she was also yeah. a nurse and 
you know, she knew what she wanted and she wasn't going to have anybody telling her what to do. Yes. And she certainly wasn't frightened of doctors because... Excellent. You know, <laughs> when you're a nurse, you see what they're really like as people. Um, but, you know, she was really upset on one one time of visit she was particularly upset and really angry she was angry at her husband for dying she was angry at my mum for dying because they were two people she was closest to yeah. um and she was still traumatized by the death of a baby that she lost oh god that's so who should have lived and it's because the medical staff didn't listen to her and oh, no yeah. yeah it was one of those situations where i think i was how old was i in my teens, mm. and it was like nobody talked about it. Yes, yeah, it was awful. Yeah. It was I, nobody, nobody knew what to. I didn't know what to say, and the message I was getting without actually being told was, "Don't mention it." Yeah, don't mention yeah. it. And you know, all that time she was just so traumatized Aww. about it. Um, no, but she was, talked to was, you about it before she died. Oh yes, yeah, she talked. She talked about it from time to time. Um, but there was one particular visit where she was very upset and very angry. Everybody died and left her. Yeah, that's, that's how understandable. She felt. So that's understandable. It was really understandable. And beca- I don't know, it's because I was so much older. Because by that time, it's not that long ago, no. so I was, 60, I was 60, so it's not that long ago. Um, it was sort of easier somehow but the, the issues of that came up in this book about how to care for frail elderly people mm. were all there yeah in glorious technicolor <laughs> like she lived in a lovely big house which i'm sure when it was first built design was you know really desirable and really modern up to date mm. but it, it had not been modified to meet her physical needs mm. and she got um really but you know she got significant mobility problems and she was constantly falling mm. um and that's where a lot of the problems stem from mm. that and she was so frail and delicate and she wouldn't eat properly and you know she kept she kept a stash of chocolate bars which <laughs> she, <laughs> oh, that's she'd eat your soup and my soup well, obviously. Because we used to make soup for if you, you remember. Do. Yeah, I do remember. My um, leek and potato soup. She loved your soup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm very your, proud of that it recipe. It was her favourite. Aww. Um, but she wouldn't eat much else that anybody else got for her. Certainly not her closest relatives mm. and her children. There's, there's something about homemade food, though, isn't there? Because yeah. when you say made, I mean, we we're talk- we literally made that from scratch. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas I imagine the was... other stuff was was just bought in it was all either cooked chill or tins because again she was relying on um sort of home care or whatever they called it and um they didn't have time to cook no they didn't have time to heat something but that is something that i think is is quite important as well actually is is the idea that somebody has properly has actually cooked you a meal for you specifically from scratch having said that she also particularly liked um, a cooked chill meal that my brother took when he went to see oh, right. <laughs> But when her son bought exactly the same thing, she would uh, touch it. Yes. 
you know, so there, it wasn't simply it wasn't how just the food the tasted. It was well, the, well no, to do with the people. that's sort of what I was I was thinking was you know the the care shown and the the by ex- so so for example like food is much more than just what the food actually is. Food yeah, yeah. is lots and lots of different oh, things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's memories and it's it's how to show care and how mm. to accept care and how to um, kind of you know nourishing in in ways that aren't just physical and that totally makes sense actually given her relationship but complicated relationships with many people yeah but then much more more simple and pleasant relationships with wider family members yeah yeah um which tend to be easy because well exactly yeah um and then she had there was that massive white furry cat that she had as well didn't she yes that was part, she kept tripping over this bloody cat, didn't she? Oh, well, that would that have been the husband's cat. <laughs> yes, obviously she wanted to keep the cat, which yeah. again was so important to her, yeah, and therefore should have been made a priority. Well, it was. I mean, you know. the cat stayed there. <laughs> yes, the cat did not move. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that, but actually, that's also something I think that people say a lot about missing if they are put into any kind of institution is mm. pets yeah yeah it's flagged up in that mm. book about um, a guy wanting his dog with him yeah absolutely and um some you know nobody thought to ensure it would happen yeah <clears throat> if they did think about pets they thought what pets were suitable so yeah i mean not going to get the same companionship from a goldfish or something are you <laughs> it's unlikely no doubt was what they had in mind <laughs> yes exactly you can't really cuddle a goldfish. No. It's not. <laughs> Doesn't look at you adoringly like dogs do. No. This is true. <laughs> but no, it's um it's it's a very kind of complex combination of things. It's mm. almost as if obviously because it's end of life care, it's kind of like all the complexities of life itself are just kind of packed into this more yeah. relatively short period of time. We could have carried on talking and did actually carry on talking for quite some time after uh, we finished the recording, but decided to just end it there. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it.